Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. A lot of things to cover on today's program, including some breaking news. First, I want to uh, I want to alert you to something we're going to be two things we're going to be doing in the two o'clock hour of the program. And if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I've got a list of of some of these things and a head start on it. And in the two thirty segment, we're going to do something that's fun. We're we're going to take a break and a breath from the COVID and social justice and election talk for for just a, a segment or so. Rolling Stone has updated its list of the greatest albums of all time, 500 greatest albums of all time, and I've got a link to that. Again, if you follow me on Twitter, you can check it out. We're, we're going we're gonna to talk music in the 2.30 segment of the program, so if you want to see where Rolling Stone magazine, what they think are the greatest albums of all time, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I've got a link there. In addition, big piece in the New York Times of all places today, they are saying that the Milwaukee suburbs, that would be the Wow counties, that would be Washington, Waukesha, and Ozaki County, may hold the key to whether or not President Trump is reelected in November. And the question is, you know, President Trump sort of underperformed in those counties, the Wow counties, compared to other Republican candidates in 2016. We're going to discuss whether in our listening area, the support for the president is perhaps stronger or weaker than in 2016. That's going to come up in the two o'clock segment of the program. And if you want to see the story that appears in The New York Times, again, I have a link to it. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. All right. In just a couple minutes. A grand jury in Kentucky is going to issue its decision as to whether or not charges are going to be issued against any police officers involved in the shooting of Breonna Taylor last March 13th. Now, by, by way of background here, if you haven't been following the story, uh, Breonna Taylor, 26-year-old black woman, what happened is the police department in Louisville, they were executing, they, they were, they were busting what they thought was a big drug ring and they were simultaneously executing a series of search warrants across the, across the community. The main target of the search warrants was an acquaintance of, of Brianna Taylor and they've been described as an ex-boyfriend. I, I don't know if that's the case or not, but they, they were looking essentially at, at this guy. And they had traced some of his activities back to the apartment of, of Brianna Taylor, including the fact that he had had some things sent there, etc. So they thought the guy was, was using this as one of his stash houses. That's essentially what happens. So they get a search warrant for this place and a number of other places as well. They start executing the search warrants sometime around 1230 at night. And that is not uncommon in these drug search warrants. You, you want to... You want to go in when people are asleep or whatever, because you don't want to give them a chance to fire back at you or destroy the contraband, etc. So this was a what they call a no-knock search warrant, which allows them to just bang down the door 
without announcing and giving people the opportunity to come to the door. That is not necessarily an uncommon thing in, in some in jurisdictions that allow it, because, again, you, you if you're going into what you think might be a drug house, you don't want to give the drug dealers the chance to either destroy stuff that might be inside or to grab guns and fire back at you. There is some question as to whether the officers did, in fact, knock and announce or not. We'll put that aside for a moment. In any event, they, they banged down the door. Brianna Taylor and her current boyfriend are watching television in bed. And boom, the, the door goes the door goes down. The the boyfriend says, I, I didn't hear anybody yell police. All I know is somebody's forcing their way into the apartment. He grabs a gun and starts firing. He said, I didn't know there were police officers. I, I didn't know who there were. He fires shots and ends up hitting one of the police officers in the leg. At that point in time, after he fires shots, the various officers, they fire shots a, a, as well. And they end up not hitting the boyfriend, but uh, Brianna Taylor is hit on multiple occasions. She's killed. She dies as a result of her injuries from the, the shooting. One of the police officers has been fired, um, just one of the three. The reason for firing him, they said that he he just started firing. He, he didn't have a target in, in, in sight. He just started firing indiscriminately from the spots where the shots were coming from. So at that point in time, they said that that was a violation of police rules. All right, that does not necessarily equate to criminal charges. In uh, Kentucky, the grand juries are 12 people. You need nine out of the 12 to vote to what's called return the indictment, bring criminal charges. Um, typically, you know, the, the saying is that the prosecutors can indict a ham sandwich. Typically, prosecutors, by the presentation of evidence, um, they can steer grand juries into the, the result they want. If they don't think the charges are warranted, they can tell the grand jury that. They can explain why. Um, if they do think charges are warranted, again, they, they can steer it in that direction. It's rare, not un- not impossible, but it's rare you will have prosecutors who recommend a particular result and that the grand jury ends up with, with something different than that. So in any event, um, they're going to announce the results in Louisville. Louisville is in a lockdown now in anticipation of potential unrest. If people are unhappy, if some people are unhappy with the verdict, the decision of the grand jury, however it goes, they're, they're afraid that there might be rioting, et cetera, et cetera. So there's been a curfew that's imposed. They've blocked off a number of streets, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Okay. Are, are we ready with our, Kyle? Are we ready with our AB? We're not ready yet. Okay. So they were going to announce the results at, at 12.15. As soon as they announce that, we'll, we'll bring it We'll bring it to you. I, I don't really, I haven't been following the case closely enough to offer a prediction on this other than to say that uh, – there, there's a diff, there's a difficult standard. I was looking at the standards for for bringing criminal charges, and there's some people that are out there. There, if you follow things on social media, there's some reporters who claim to be close to the investigation who are saying that well, the the word is that there aren't going to be charges that are issued. I, I don't know the merits of that one way or the other. In Kentucky, and this is what you'd be looking for. There's four potential charges. There, there's there's murder, which is intent to cause the death of another person under circumstances manifesting extreme indifference to life. I, I don't I don't think that there's any way you could justify a murder thing. Manslaughter, 
first degree intent to cause serious injury to another person under the influence of extreme emotional disturbance. I don't think that would apply either. If there were to be charges against any of the police officers, my guess is that they would be looking at perhaps reckless homicide, which is you recklessly cause the death of another person. You act recklessly when the person fails to perceive a substantial and unjustifiable risk that should have been apparent. And then you've also got second degree manslaughter where you wantonly cause the death of another person. It's it's tough in a situation like this where the police officers now again the, the search warrant there were no drugs in the house but that they, they're they're there validly executing a lawfully issued search warrant and somebody fires on them it's it's tough to bring criminal charges now i'm not making any predictions like i say i haven't been following it that closely but we'll find out in just a couple minutes uh, let's take a quick break before that this is jeff wagner wtmj Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, there there is a judge that supervises grand jury proceedings in Kentucky, and she is speaking now about the grand jury's report in the Breonna Taylor case. Let's go to it live. ...wanton endangerment in the first degree when, under circumstances manifesting extreme indifference to human life, he wantonly shot a gun, a gun, excuse me, into the apartment occupied by initials C.E. Count two, wanton endangerment in the first degree. On or about March 13th, 2020, in Jefferson County, Kentucky, the above-named defendant, Brett Hankison, committed the offense of wanton endangerment in the first degree. When, under circumstances manifesting extreme indifference to human life, he wantonly shot a gun into the apartment occupied by initials C.N. Count three, wanton endangerment in the first degree. On or about March 13th, 2020, the Jefferson County, in Jefferson County, Kentucky, the above-named defendant, Brett Hankison, committed the offense of wanton endangerment in the first degree when, under circumstances manifesting extreme indifference to human life, he wantonly shot a gun into an apartment occupied by initials ZF against the peace and dignity of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Mr. Foreperson, is that the decision of the grand jury? Thank you. Sir, if you would please randomly select a number. Division 13. Thank you, sir. The case will then be assigned to Jefferson Circuit Court Division 13. Madam Assistant Attorney General, do you have a motion with respect to bond? Yes, Your Honor. Assistant Attorney General asks for 15,000 full cash bond for the defendant, Brett Hankinson. I will grant the motion and assign bond in the amount of $15,000 full cash and issue a warrant. That concludes the business of the grand jury sitting for Jefferson County in September 2020. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. You may be excused. I'm going off the record. Okay, so that's the, let's take that down. That that was the, the judge supervising the grand jury. It appears, if I'm correct, that there were charges brought against one of the three police officers. That would be the police officer who was fired. 
um, from his job as a result of his conduct. Like I say, the, this is that Brett Hankinson guy. He was the one who um, apparently that they say he, he fired multiple rounds indiscriminately without being able to see his target or anything like that. So he was subsequently fired. The other officers who were on the scene doesn't sound like there were criminal charges issued against them. Um, if I'm understanding it right, uh, when they're talking about wantonly causing the death of another person, that is in Kentucky. It is what's called manslaughter in the second degree, um, carries a penalty of five to 10 years in prison for, for the death. Other two officers, again, if I was hearing that correctly, not charged. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The votes are in. Now it's time to find out the winners. The Wisconsin Sports Awards are coming, and they'll be unlike any WSAs before. Tune in next Monday as we broadcast the Wisconsin Sports Awards right here on 620 WTMJ. The ninth annual Wisconsin Sports Awards are presented by Gruber Law Offices, Cousin Subs, Potosi Brewing Company, and American Family Insurance. It all happens next Monday, September 28th at 6 o'clock on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, during... uh, and again, I, I tried to summarize as best I could the the underlying facts of the Brianna Taylor case and her her tragic death. The grand jury evaluating this case has decided to return charges, and again, it looks to me like it's manslaughter in the second degree against one of the three officers who was involved in the shooting. The officer who was charged is also the officer who was fired. The other two have not been fired at this point in time, and the officer who was charged with essentially the second degree manslaughter was the one that, at least according to the investigation, fired multiple shots without seeing a, a target and i think that's what they said you just this is what where that reckless behavior was you know ending up um, you know firing where you don't know what you're you're seeing and that that was reckless conduct that you know uh, caused the death and you know in in fact injured an innocent person um, by firing 10 rounds into Ms. Taylor's apartment. According to at least the police chief at the time, the officer allegedly fired into a patio door and window covered with material that prevented him from verifying whether someone was an imminent threat. Some of those rounds also entered into a neighboring apartment. The other officers who, you know, returned fire. And again, this started when the, the, the boyfriend of Ms. Taylor Apparently, at least allegedly not knowing it was police coming through the door, he fired shots first and then the police responded. So that's what makes this a a bit of a trickier prosecution. But the officer who has been indicted, he fired without knowing what he was shooting at. And that's, of course, I think a violation of a number of different, uh, certainly the police protocols that led him to be fired. And it's a basis that the grand jury has for believing that criminal charges are warranted. Now, of course, the question becomes in this situation, what, um, how is the community going to respond? Will there be satisfaction? Is this going to be perceived as, as justice for Ms. Taylor? Is there going to be, I don't know, anger slash disappointment that the charges 
were not more severe, that this wasn't a, a murder, uh, for example, charge that could result in somebody going to prison for life? Is there going to be outrage over the fact that other officers who were on the scene were not subject of criminal charges. Uh, and again, who knows? Like I said earlier, in anticipation of this, Louisville's essentially been shut down. They declared a curfew. Major streets were blocked. They're, they're trying to, again, prevent thousands and thousands of people from taking to the streets and engaging in conduct that, again, could be caused, just called disruptive, whatever. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, are the senior realty experts, Bruce and Gene Nimovitz, from selling to downsizing and so much more. Visit brucesteam.com. All right. Yesterday, we talked about this, to, to me, just, I don't know, just kind of like head-scratching decision coming out of a federal court in Madison. There's a judge named William Conley, who's been presiding over some of these election law cases. He, he's issued a number of rulings. He did some before the April election, many of which got reversed by the Seventh Circuit. But but he's back at it again. In Wisconsin, the law is crystal clear. The law says absentee ballots have to be returned to the clerk's office by the time the polls close on election day. The law is black and white. I mean, it, it's not like there's any in there's not any discretion at all. It says that absentee ballots have to be returned to the clerk's office by the time polls close. In ca- the case of the November elections, this means by eight o'clock November third. Under state law, the ballot has to be in the possession of the clerk's office, which means if you are a voter and you're voting absentee, you do have an obligation. You have an obligation to fill out and mail in, if you're going to do it by mail, mail in your ballot with sufficient advance time to make sure it is received by the clerk's office by 8 o'clock on November 3rd. In some cases, that might mean if you get your absentee ballot, if you, if you dawdle, if you don't register, if you ask for your absentee ballot at the very last moment, that might mean that you know, you, you're not going to get it returned to you in the mail in time. So that might mean that you have to show up on Election Day and vote, even though you'd like to vote by mail. If you get it at the last minute or if you get it, I don't know, two weeks before, but you dawdle, you decide that you're just going to, I don't know, put it in a drawer and then send it in at the last minute. Well, all right, that that might mean under the law that your ballot is not counted. That might mean if, hey, it's Sunday and I'm sitting here and I haven't filled out my ballot, if I drop it in the mailbox, it might not be received by Tuesday at 8 p.m. when the polls closed. So that means I might have to go and actually drop it off at the polls. That's what the law says. Well, William Connolly, federal judge, has decided that what, regardless of what the law says, and again, the law is crystal clear, he doesn't like the law. So he has issued a ruling, which he has been temporarily put on hold, pending appeal. His ruling is that even though the law says the ballots have to be received by 8 o'clock on election night, which would be, again, November 3rd, he says ballots can continue to count as long as they are postmarked by November 3rd, and I will order that they be counted 
through the next Monday, November 9th. So in essence, as long as you can get your ballot postmarked, you can it can be dribbling in for three or four or five or, or six days, and it will count. Now, my point yesterday was this, this is completely extra legal. I mean, there, there's no question at all. Here you have a federal judge, in my opinion, who's just making it up as, as he goes along. And that's... I understand that federal judges are the closest things that we have to kings and queens in this country um, in that they have lifetime appointments and, and can't be removed as, as a practical matter. But still, I, I would argue that you know federal judges are sworn to enforce the law, not just kind of make it up as they go. And if Judge Conley doesn't like this particular law, well, what he should do is he should resign his federal judgeship and run for Real run for governor, run for the state senate, run for state assembly, and try to change the law. In Pennsylvania, there was a similar ruling that came out, again, saying regardless of what the law says, we're going to allow ballots to count as long as they're going to be received for another several days. And that case is now being appealed as well, and it might go to the U.S. Supreme Court. My guess is... My guess is that these rulings are going to be overturned, but 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 who knows for sure? Because I think it's going to create a nightmare. I mean, imagine a scenario where, just for the sake of argument, Donald Trump wins Wisconsin on election night. Donald Trump wins Wisconsin by 50,000 votes. And then all of a sudden, ballots start mysteriously appearing in the mail. And, you know, some come in on Wednesday and some come in on Thursday and some come in on Friday and some come in on Saturday. And then all of a sudden, that 50,000 vote margin, now Joe Biden is winning. You want to talk about something that is not going to bolster confidence in the results of an election. That would be it. Plus, the post office has already said that not everything always gets postmarked. So, So what happens? It is just much simpler and it is clearly the state of the law to require the ballots to be received by November 3rd. Otherwise, I think it is a complete and total mess. But that's not the aspect of the conversation that I, I, I want to talk about. Again, I think these judges are going to be reversed. I think I think Judge Connolly is just completely and totally dead wrong on what he's done, and he's way beyond his authority. But I want to talk about the, the larger premise here. Obviously, the motivating factor is we want to make it easy for people to vote. And we it's the era of covid. You're going to have like maybe as many as one point eight million people that that vote absentee. So the thinking behind the judge is I don't want to punish people if they decide to wait to the last minute or if the post office gets overwhelmed. I don't want to punish them. So we'll just. Regardless of what the law says, we'll just continue the results out for another six, seven days. We'll give you lots more time to vote. My point is, I do not think it is unreasonable to expect people to vote with enough time to make sure that that vote is received by November 3rd. I don't think that is an unreasonable thing to say. That Look, if you want to vote by mail, fine. You can get a ballot now. You can fill that ballot out. You can send it in. If you decide that you want to wait till the last minute, okay, that's fine. That's your decision. But then I don't think it's unreasonable to say, all right, if you wait till the last minute, then maybe you're going to have to go and drop it off at the clerk's office. If you wait till a point where, gee, it's the Sunday before 
If I put this in the mail, it might not be received. Well, you shouldn't wait till the Sunday before if you don't intend to go down to the polls. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it unreasonable to say to someone, look, if you want to vote, you can do it in person, you can do it in person absentee, or you can do it by mail. But you've got the responsibility to make sure however you choose to do it, you do it with enough time to get that ballot back in the clerk's office by the time the polls close on, in this case, Tuesday, November 3rd. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To do otherwise, I think, is to create a mess. But more importantly, I don't think that's an unreasonable requirement to say you've got all these different things that you can do. It's just you're, we're going to give you just a little teeny tiny responsibility, and it's your responsibility to do whatever you're going to do to make sure your ballot is there before the polls close. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, there is no reason for any delay of absentee ballots to be turned in by the voting date. I've already received my absentee ballot in the mail. I have voted absentee for the past eight years. I always receive the ballot in plenty of time to vote and return them. Um, Jeff, I'm a student. Following the judge's logic would mean I can turn in my assignments at any date. Guess I'm okay with that. Well, yeah, I guess I understand why. Jeff, my husband and I have already received our ballots. There is no reason to mail them late. No, there, you, there, there is, there is, under the law, there is a requirement that we put on voters. It, it's a little teeny tiny requirement, which is that you have to vote in person or if you're going to vote absentee, you have to do it with enough time to make sure that your ballot gets received. Otherwise, maybe you have to drop it off. Okay, I don't think that's an unreasonable requirement. And that's what the law says. And by the way, if you want to argue, okay, well, no, this this law was made before we had all these absentee ballots, and it's just, it's too much it's too much of a burden to put on people to say, hey, you, you have to have the ballot in by time. Okay, then then you have that argument with the governor and the legislature and you change the law. But the law is 8 o'clock on election night, and I don't think that's unreasonable. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I agree with you 100%. They have made all kinds of different ways that you can vote to get it in by November 3rd. We, You can vote early, and that starts October 20th. You can vote early. You can do the absentee. You can. There are so many ways, and it is the law, and I can't imagine waiting another week. I, it, it, it sounds like a... a yeah. Well, it, it, a, a, a recipe. You know what? Yeah. A, a, it's a, I mean, thanks for calling. It's a recipe for fraud. Now, here's an interesting thing. Jeff. I have access to a mail stamp machine. I can program it to print out any date I want. Now, I I don't know how that works, but that is a really interesting question. So let's say you've got a bunch of ballots and, you know, we're starting to announce the results of this and your candidate is behind. You've got a bunch of people who requested absentee ballots but haven't voted. And all of a sudden, maybe it's the fourth or the fifth, but you've got this machine and, and you can you can postage stamp 
I don't know, the outside of the ballots, the third, if you can in fact do it, what's to, what, what is to prevent people from doing that? I guess, see, that, that's the bottom line. The reason we have these cutoff dates is because there has to be a degree of certainty. And like I say, if you allow this to happen, and again, I, look, if the election's not close, and it may well not be close, it's not going to make any difference. But remember all the, the stuff that happened in, say in Milwaukee, remember, and I used this example the other day, the the governor's election in November of 2018, Scott Walker was ahead when most people went to bed. But what happened is the city of Milwaukee had thousands and thousands of, of absentee ballots that had been received, but that hadn't been funneled through the machines. And those ballots ended up giving Tony Evers the, the victory. But at least, you know, we knew by that next morning when the ballots were put through the machines. Here, you're talking about, I don't know, probably another week where you have all these ballots that are going to be trickling in with no guarantee. And look, I respect the post office and I think they do a pretty good job, but no guarantee at all that, you know, actually, were they mailed on the third or could somebody figure out a way to get these envelopes postmarked or whatever? And gee, isn't it mysterious that one candidate won on election night and all of a sudden all these other ballots end up coming in and switching the election? That's why you have to have some degree of certainty. But to go back to the basic point, I don't think it's unreasonable to say to somebody, all right, you you have at least a little teeny tiny obligation to make sure that your vote is in by the date of the election, whether you do it in person on Election Day, whether you do it in person in all the opportunities that we have for in-person absentee, the early voting in person, or you know, whether you make sure that you get that ballot and fill it out and send it back with enough time to guarantee that it's received. All those things, I think, are more than reasonable. And again, right now, the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit is going to be looking at Judge Connolly's decision. My guess is they're going to overturn it. But again, you can go broke with that. And in Pennsylvania, where they did a very, very similar thing, essentially saying regardless of what the law says, we're going to allow, in their case, they say they're going to allow ballots to be returned up to three days after the election. Contrary to state law, that matter is going to go up to the Supreme Court. My guess is the Supreme Court is going to intervene in that. There's nothing wrong with establishing deadlines. And I guess to me, it's frustrating that people don't see that. Jeff, I'm in Germantown. It took 30 days for my ballot to arrive. That's an issue, too. Absolutely. And, and that's one of the limitations you have with, with absentee balloting. But that's why I think, you know, people who decide they're going to do that have to make the requests for the ballot far enough in advance to make sure they get it. So, you know, if you've requested it and then, you know, two weeks later you don't have it, that's when maybe you call the clerk's office and you say, hey, wait a second, you know, what's going on? I requested this. You do have to, I think, do a little bit of things. I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable to put those requirements on voters. We put other requirements on voting as well. You know, you have to live in a particular municipality for X number of days. You have to show up with a photo ID. You have to prove who you are. So we do we do say, look, we're going to balance making voting easy with, uh, again, election security and certainty of election. So, yeah, we put a few requirements on the voters, I guess, making sure that your ballot is received by eight o'clock on election night so it can be counted with everybody else. 
I don't think that's unreasonable at all. It's clearly what the law says, but it's a matter of policy. I don't think it's unreasonable. Okay, when we come back, what's up with some parents in Ozaki County? Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, this is... This is what you have to look forward to as you get older. It's, it's the simple pleasures in life. It's, it's the things that kind of change. Okay, so so yesterday, I, I might have told the story. Um, I have one of those Keurig coffee makers, you know, with the cake oh, cups yes. that you put it in and I stuff. I love those. Okay, so a couple days ago, mine died. My, mine died. And I've been wanting, see, I, I, I've had coffee maker envy because they've got <laughs> these new ones that are out there that have the, they're, they're twofold. They've got. One, they've got the K-cup thing, and then next to it, they've got like a regular little coffee mm-hmm. pot, like the Mr. Coffee, so you can put like the, the grounds in, you can make your own thing. Like if you're going to drink a lot of coffee, right. you would want like the a Saturday, one. Right, mm-hmm. as opposed to yeah. just the one. So I, I just, I've got an anniversary coming up, and as I said to Fran, this is what I want for my anniversary. I, I want one of these like dual coffee maker yeah. things. And I had said that before, <laughs> before my, my K-cup thing died. Mm-hmm. Now she thinks that I I broke the thing just so I could get the new one. But but it came, and so I, I, I ordered it. And then it came yesterday, and, and she had actually had it set up. So today was the first day that I got to use it to make coffee, and it was just the neatest was thing in so the world. Good? So yesterday you left the studio saying, I think I'm going to go home and drink coffee because you had the machine. Right. So you didn't do that. No, but I set it all up. I, oh, I had okay, it all good. up, and I, I read the thing <laughs> to see how it was, was working and mm-hmm. stuff. No, you see, yesterday was a big day at the Wagner House because it was not only, not only that, but as I was saying, we, we got a new furnace and air conditioner. Oh, so as wow, I, as I yeah. came home, the guys are, are still there. They've just finished and they're, they're showing me how the thermostat, it's, you know, I, I'm used to these thermostats that are just on the wall and you kind of set them and, yeah. and things like, oh no, this, this is high it's tech. wireless. It's high tech. It's all push button. Can you thing. do it from your phone? You can oh, if wow. you wanted to, but it's um, but it, it's got like it's it's hooked up to your wireless internet, and it, it's got like the weather report there, and you just touch all these buttons and things like that, and it's I mean it, it, the 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 thermostat has a twenty five page booklet on instructions <laughs> that I I have no idea what this thing is going to be ultimately able to do, but then interestingly enough, see my wife beat me to this because she apparently was working with the guys, and and she. She has set the the timers on the thing, you know. So like, oh, so she wants it warmer at certain times, exactly cooler warmer at and times. cooler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and and so I think she's counting on the fact that I'm not going to figure out how to change the timers she's and smart. stuff. So that's that that's all done. But you know, so I I was I, I have that and I have the my coffee machine, maker. It's like Christmas Day. It was, and it, it's again. Now I was sitting there thinking there were points in my life where. Gee, we we got a new thermostat. We you know, we're, or or gee, there's a new coffee maker that came in. It would be kind of like, eh, okay, yeah, so mm-hmm. what? But now I'm like, cool. I've got this new coffee maker, and yeah. I can make a pot of coffee, and I can make the K cup stuff. They say you know you've you've become an adult or middle aged when you're excited about getting a vacuum cleaner for Christmas or a Keurig machine for your anniversary. <laughs> it 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 worked. You know, it it just it 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 ended up working for me. So that's you guys grew. Melissa, you have that to look forward to. It. You know, it's it's just. So, going what to, color is the Keurig machine? Black. Oh, it's black. It was, okay. it was just black. Yeah, so it was nothing. But it actually, it's bigger, and so I thought I was going to get yelled at because it takes up more space on the counter. But she said, "No, you, oh, that's if you good. want well, this, I'm sure you can, she's using that too." No, she doesn't drink oh, coffee. coffee. So, no, 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 no. So this is no, this is all mine. I'm taking up the space on the counter, but it's it's just cool. It's I and, love it, and it worked today. Okay, something that is not cool. Now, I I I am a believer. 
One of the reasons that I have kind of rebelled against some of the government restrictions in the world of COVID is, is first of all, I, I don't think that they're necessarily effective. I don't think that they have made sense. For example, the, the safer at home orders, to me, the safer at home order n- never made any sense. And I, I'd argue this before to say that the Walmart can be open but the, the small jewelry store that sells watches can't be open. And it just never made any sense to me. It was just, if, if we were going to try to figure out where you want to stop the spread, what you should do is you should figure out, okay, where are the places that this is likely to spread, and then let's concentrate on, on them. And, and that's not the way that we approached it, this in the beginning. So I've kind of railed about that. I, I don't for the moment want to talk about the mask mandates. Again, um, I get a lot of feedback on this. Governor Evers yesterday extended the mask mandate for another 60 days. It is my belief that if this is challenged in court, it will be overturned because I think it's illegal. And, and this isn't a question about whether or not people should wear masks. And this is what gets lost from time to time. The question is whether or not, in this case, the governor has the authority to issue that order. And, you know, whenever there's challenges to the governor's authority, he says, oh, people don't care about public health. Well, no, it's it's that people care about the law. I think the law in Wisconsin is really, really clear. The law says the governor has, he can issue orders in health emergencies. Those orders are good for 60 days. After 60 days, the legislature has to act. And he issued the mask mandate. It expires next week after 60 days. I don't think he has the authority to just continue it unilaterally. And if the legislature decides that they don't want to act, well, then he can blame the legislature. But I don't think the governor has the authority. And sometimes people get lost in that. They say, oh, well, the you know, these masks are a great thing or, or whatever. Okay, th- that's a different question than whether or not somebody has the legal authority to do it. And this is where I think we get in trouble in this country, and you see it with Republicans and you see it with Democrats. You have these elected officials who think that they are kings and think that the process doesn't matter and think that what the law says doesn't matter if they believe that they are doing something and they have a noble cause and that they're right, they should do it even if they don't have the authority. And that's my beef. And in this case, it's with the mask mandate. I just don't believe the governor legally has the authority to do it. And when it's challenged and if it's overturned by the Supreme Court, he's going, oh, these are these evil Republicans. They don't care about health. No, they care about the law. And if you want to criticize the legislature for not coming into session and not crafting its own mask mandate, that that's fair. But my objection is the governor doesn't have the legal authority to do it. So that's where I come down on these. But regardless... You know, for, for example, I like I say with the mask mandates, regardless of whether you think it should be a mandate and regardless of whether or not you think it's, it's been effective. I mean, you know, we're, we're looking at like record numbers of covid and we have a mask mandate in effect, which tells me either people aren't following it, which means it's not enforced and it's probably not enforceable, or that maybe it's not as effective as people think it is. But, you know, regardless, I, I think, for example, wearing a mask is a its a good idea when you're inside other places. So, I mean, that's why I always carry a couple masks in my back pocket. And when you go into stores, I end up putting them on. But you, I, I think people have to be smart. One of the reasons why we have seen, I think, the recent outbreaks of COVID is because people have not been smart. For example, on the college campuses, the kids go back to school, and even though they know better, 
even though they know better, they decide what the heck. I'm going to go to that kegger with 250 people, and all you need is a couple people who are sick. They spread it to other people, and then you've got you know 150 out of the 200 who are sick because they decided they were going to go to that kegger when they knew that they should not do that. In Ozaki County a couple months ago, you had an outbreak among some young people because they had a couple big graduation parties, and one idiot kid, teenager, who was running a fever, had all these COVID symptoms, hadn't tested positive yet, but was sick, decides he's going to go to not one, not two, but three of these big graduation parties. And next thing you know, you've got dozens and dozens of people that are sick because this one kid was stupid and selfish. And, and that's that's what it was. And I mean, I've argued that, you know, we just we have to be smart about this. And unfortunately, there are some people who just aren't smart about things, which brings me to this story. Headline in the Journal Sentinel. Some parents have sent their COVID-19 positive children to school, Washington Ozaki Public Health Department director says. Now, I'm I'm not necessarily a fan of the, the public health director in Ozaki, Washington County, because I think she's overreacted to some things. But But here's the deal. This is what she said. She says, in one instance, a student was so ill that the student went to the nurse's office. The nurse discovered that the student was on the list of those who had tested positive and should not have been in class. Um Health director said there were other incidents in other districts where this has happened as well. So what you have is you have, I guess in some cases, parents who have kids that are symptomatic, who have refused to have the child tested. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. And sent the kid to school. In other cases, you've had situations where the kid is tested positive. They know he's got COVID or she's got COVID, and they send them to school to school anyways. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, to me, th- this this is just absolutely outrageous. And, and this this goes on to, to the parents. If you have anybody whether they've been diagnosed with COVID or not. If you have anybody that's, you know, running a fever and and has, you know, go down the list of symptoms. Now, I, I understand it's like allergy time and maybe, oh, my kid's got allergies. He was sneezing. I, I didn't, I don't think he has COVID. But if you're, if you're running a fever, if you've got all these different characteristics, you should not be in school. You know, whether we got Governor Evers issuing edicts or health department things issuing edicts, you know, the parents, you keep your kids home when your kids are showing symptoms. And if your kids have tested positive for COVID and you still make the decision that you are sending them to school, you are knowingly putting all sorts of other people at risk. At a minimum, for parents who do this, I think the kids should be subject to expulsion. If the parents are that irresponsible that they are willing to put other kids at risk, there needs to be consequences. And maybe one of those consequences is if you're going to send your kid or allow your kid to come to school when you know or should know that that child should be at home, well, I think... Maybe that's a way of saying, look, you know, we're, we're not going to let your kid back into classes. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I would be open to fining parents who do that. I would be open to having the kids expelled. Kids, you know, if, if you are sick, 
if you have tested positive for COVID, you should be quarantining yourself. You should be quarantining your kids. You should not be exposing other people. Forget, you know, let's let's not talk about, you know, masks and things like that. Let's talk about something, you know, real world. You send a kid with 102 fever to school and all sorts of other symptoms of COVID. You are knowingly and intentionally putting everybody in that school at risk. And I think if you do it, there needs to be consequences. Fines for the parents, expulsion of the kids. I say yes. 855-616-1620. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I don't disagree with you that there needs to be consequences for parents who knowingly expose others. I wonder if you feel similarly about individuals who go to grocery stores without wearing masks. Well, okay, you're talking about apples and oranges. If if you're asking me, gee, somebody who's tested positive for COVID nineteen out and about in the community interacting with other people, a, a super spreader, well, that that's that that's one thing do i think there should be consequences yes if you're saying do i think everybody who goes out without a mask deserves to be i don't know sent to prison or whatever the, the answer would be no but there's different characteristics there and again i'm talking to somebody who you know when i go into shops and stores i i, I wear a mask but it, there's a difference between going out without a wearing a mask and a difference between knowing that you have covid 19 and going out um 855 620. Jeff, you have a right to, people have a right to make decisions about their health, but not mine. Um, Jeff, expulsions? Really? That's ridiculous. You don't know if the parents said they had to go. Give me a break. Well, yeah, the parents are, are controlling the kids. Now, yes, if, if a kid is sick and, and shows up in class, and the parents are that irresponsible. Yes, I think there needs to be some consequences. And yes, that could be expulsion, just like the parents are held accountable on other things as well. If kids don't get vaccines, they're not allowed in school unless they've got other sorts of situations. Jeff, by the time they figured out the damage is is done. Um, well, yeah, that's that's a point. That's why you have to count on people ending up doing the right thing. Jeff, if the child has COVID-19, shouldn't the parents be quarantined at home as well? Are they working in the community? Are they unable to call into their jobs? Well, um, yeah, that's that might be the you know case. Jeff, Child Protection Services should be stepping in and taking their kids away from them to quarantine them. Well, you know, I, here, here's here's the deal. You got to count on people not being stupid. And I understand that. And I, I say this all the time. You can't fix stupid. And and I'm sorry if your kid has tested positive for covid-19 and you send that kid to school or you allow the kid to go to school to the point that, gee, they're, they're running 102 fever and they're sitting there and masks or whatever, they're, they're running the risk of infecting other people. Yes, you, you are, I mean, that's almost felony stupid. I'm sorry, that's irresponsible. And, you know, there, there needs to be, there need to be things that are, are there need to be things where people are held accountable 
on this. Jeff, I don't think they should be expelled. I'm sure they're begging to stay home. I think the parents at least should be fined. Some sort of criminal charges should be brought on the parents. Well, I don't know about the criminal charges on that regard, but, you know, bottom line is there needs to be some accountability, and that starts with the parents. Jeff, my high school daughter came home from the first day of school and told me that there were already 10 kids in her school who were quarantined because a parent had sent their kid to school pending a COVID test. I was like, are you kidding? Are people that stupid? Yes, so. The kid had gotten his test back that afternoon. I was fit to be tied, to say the least. On the other hand, my hubby is a teacher in a different district, wasn't feeling well, went in for a COVID test. It came back negative, but the district still requires him to stay home for two weeks. The world has, in fact, gone mad. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of stuff going on like that. Um, if you're positive for COVID-19 and ignore quarantine guidelines and don't disclose it to everyone you contact, I think there should be some liability penalty of some type. Now, look, I understand that there's going to be some people, and and this is what makes COVID-19 tricky, that there are some people who are asymptomatic. In other words, they they could have it, but they don't have any symptoms. They don't get sick. I I don't know what that percentage is, but that's what makes COVID tricky because you you might have it, you might be exposed to it, and you might be able to pass it on, but you're not sick, and you don't, and you shouldn't know that you're sick. Well, it in, in those cases, I understand it's more difficult, and maybe that's where you say, okay, well, the kid wasn't showing any sort of symptoms. I had no idea that they had it. But in situations where you, you've tested positive for COVID or you're running a fever or you have X number of the different symptoms and, and you go to school, yeah, there should be consequences. And in the parents, to the extent they send them to school, yeah, there should be consequences there as well. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, here is my favorite. Just what planet do people live on email? Now, I, I guess I, when, when we launch into some certain topics, I don't think it's necessarily controversial to say that if a kid is tested positive for COVID-19, the parents shouldn't send the kid to school. I don't think it's controversial to say if your kid has 102 fever and is coughing up a lung and has all these other symptoms of COVID-19, even if they haven't tested positive, you should keep the kid home. Now, I would not. Gru, you are producing. I would not think that that is a particularly controversial thing. The kid is sick. The kid, and in the case of the one situation, they've got a positive COVID test and the parents didn't care. Okay, so that's the background. So here is the email. Jeff. Many patients, many parents have been put in a disparaging economic situation. I don't even know what that means. Parents are not doctors. Many of the COVID symptoms look like allergies or the common cold. To assume parents are stupid or knowingly sending their child with malice is irresponsible to assume or report on. I'd like to think that we should all practice the old adage, assume good intent. (laughs) Let's not assume that all the intent is bad. Okay, explain to me in what world your kid tests positive for COVID and you send them to school. How can that be anything other? I, I guess maybe you should you could be clueless in the extreme, but how could that be anything other than bad intent? Your kid is running 102 fever, coughing up a lung. All right, here, let's send them to school in an era of a pandemic and let them hang out with all their buddies. 
and people want to defend the parents. I swear. My response to that email was just, oh, my God. I just <laughs> at, at some point in time, look, I, I understand, like I was saying, there, there might be situations where you're sending kids to school and, and they're asymptomatic and, and you don't know you know, whether or not the kids are sick. And it, it just ends up being a surprise. Oh, my gosh, I had no idea the kid had, had COVID. He didn't show any of the symptoms. Okay, I, I understand. That is that is going to happen. But it's kind of like you go, going into the workplace. You're running 102 fever. You, yes, do I understand that some symptoms are similar to allergies? My allergies are horrible right now. I, I sneeze. Okay, but that's that's it. I don't have any of the symptoms of COVID. I have an allergy. I, I know that. But if I'm start to run 102 fever and have all the respiratory issues, yeah, I think I'm going to go get checked out and I'm not coming into work, you know, <laughs> until I, I figure this out one way or the other. Oh, we shouldn't assume bad intent. Kids tested positive. Here, Johnny, go to school. Huh. All right. In that vein, the, the you know whating match between the Dane County executive, his name is Joe Parisi, and UW-Madison Chancellor Rebecca Blank, that this, it's not going away. Um, Parisi, now, we, all right, the, the number of positive tests in Dane County spiked a couple weeks ago, went up dramatically because you had the UW kids, the students that came back to class, and it wasn't so much because of, of going to class. I, I, matter of fact, I, I think the in-person instruction really hasn't led to much of an increase in in COVID-19. It, it's not like it's being spread in the classroom. But what happens is the kids come back to campus, and some live on campus, and lots and lots live off campus, and they behave like college kids behave. Hey, we're going to go out. We're going to party like there's no tomorrow. We know that we're not supposed to be hanging out. We know that we're not supposed to be doing all these different things, but we're going to do it anyways. And the numbers spike. So it's not really, again, the in-person instruction, the in-person classroom instruction at UW. They've gone out of their way to uh, try to, you know, maintain social distance and make kids wear masks and all that type of stuff. It's just the stuff that you can't control. So, Anyhow, UW-Madison is getting ready to um, start to reopen uh, the buildings for more in-person classroom instruction because they happen to believe that is correct. The county executive continues to be outraged about this. So two days ago, he, he kind of doubled down. He said, look, I here here is the, the deal. I, I think that UW should not consider in-person classes, move everything online, and then what I think they should do is order all the students back home. Send all the kids back home. Okay? All right? Now, of course, national health ec- officials say sending people back home isn't a good idea because you're, you're taking young people who are, you know, Again, if they get COVID-19, chances are, in most cases, they're, they're going to get better. And you're sending them back into the communities, and you're risking having them spread it. But anyhow, the county executive says, send the kids back home. Rebecca Blank comes out yesterday and says, look, here, here, here's the deal. Even if we were to move classes online, it's just wishful thinking to think that students are going to pack up and leave Madison. She says students are an important part of the Madison community. You can't simply wish them away, nor should you. This is where the students live. It's where they work. It's where they vote. And their presence supports hundreds of local businesses and the Dane County economy. In other words, knock it off 
and stop suggesting that we you know, order all the kids home because even if we go to online learning, most of the kids are going to stay around Madison anyways. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does it make any sense at all for UW-Madison to order, and again, it's an unenforceable order. I mean, if you've got an apartment off campus, how, how can you tell the kids you, you've got to go back to Chippewa Falls or you've got to go back to Milwaukee? I mean, my niece, she's a senior, as I say, at San Diego State. They're in all online learning, but she's out you know, with roommates in San Diego. How can San Diego State say, we want you to go back home to Wisconsin? You, you, you can't do it. So the chancellor is saying, Okay, Mr. County Executive, essentially, you don't know what you're talking about. And and the last thing we would want to do is order all the kids to try to leave Madison because, candidly, that would in all likelihood make things worse. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what about the idea of telling all the kids in these different college communities, we think you should go home? Should UW be Again, I don't think they can order the kids to go home, but should they be encouraging all the kids to pack up, leave campus, and head back to wherever they came from? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. My answer is, look, whatever we've got to do to control the spread of COVID-19 on college campuses, okay, that's fine. But ordering the kids to go home is just a fool's errand. We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, do you own a local business or know somebody who does? One small business could win a $50,000 advertising campaign. That's right. News Radio 620 WTMJ is teaming up with Associated Bank to help local businesses grow and succeed through these challenging times. To nominate a company or a group, go to rebuildingwibusiness.com by September 27th. So what's today? The 23rd. So you only got a couple more days. One deserving business will walk away with an ad campaign valued at $50,000. Matter of fact, we had my boss, Steve Wexler, on the other day. And it, this, I, I think people hear this and it's like, okay, is this really some like come on scheme to like a, sell me a timeshare or something? No, it, it's uh, legitimate this is it. You know, our our marketing people and our management people got together with Associated Bank and came up with this uh, contest. I guess is for better, one of a better term. And yeah, one one local business is going to be picked, and that business is going to get a fifty thousand dollar advertising campaign. There's no strings attached. Time is running out. Like I say, the deadline for applying is September twenty seventh. Head to rebuildingwibusiness.com now for entry details and official contest rules. Associated Bank is, of course, a member of the FDIC. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I swear, some of this conversation just makes my, my head want to explode. Now, maybe we can have an argument about whether or not the colleges should have reopened to in-person learning. Okay, Now, reasonable people can perhaps have that argument, but like I say, in many situa- many cases, even if the colleges hadn't reopened in-person learning, do you think that means that the, the kids who like go to Madison or like my, nef- my niece go to, to San Diego State, do you think that that means that they wouldn't have gone back to Madison? Well, of course they, in, in most cases, I, I think they would have. Some of the kids might have stayed home, but I think most were, you know, hey, we've, we've got our jobs, we, we work in Madison, and we've got our commitments to our roommates, and we've got our rented apartments or whatever. So even if 
You didn't have in-person instruction. My guess is a large number of the college kids would have gone back to the college towns where they, you know, go to school and they're, they're going to do what college kids do. They're, they're going to go. They're going to hang out. They're going to party. They're going to perhaps not follow social distancing, all those different types of things. So this was kind of a given. But but regardless, once they made the decision to go back, once we said, okay, we're going to open the classes, once they get there to then turn around and, for example, the Dane County Executive to say, okay, well, we've had an outbreak here, so we want to take all these kids that have been exposed and we want to send them back. Go, go back to the communities where you came from. As a matter of fact, it appears that out in Dane County, the numbers are starting to normalize a little bit. So you had this peak when the schools reopened. If you want to say we shouldn't have reopened the schools, okay, that's a different conversation. But having reopened the schools to now take kids who might have been exposed and say, okay, we're going to send you back, I don't think so. Um, you know, uh, Jeff, wherever you go, there you are. So any behavior the kids will have will go wherever their home is. Well, yeah, that that's right. So you you send a bunch of college-age kids back to Germantown, all right? So they're, they're not around. You think that they're not going to hang out with their friends from Germantown? Well, of course they're going to do that. It's just, it's the same. Jeff, sending the students back home is the most illogical decision possible. Although there are outliers, college students have a near zero chance of dying from COVID. If you send a student back home, with grandma and grandpa, they have a much higher chance of getting grandma and grandpa sick and then having a bad result. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it. Jeff, sending kids home is like New York putting COVID patients in nursing homes. Yeah, remember that? That was, that, that was the idea of Governor Cuomo. Here, you know, we, we've got this outbreak of COVID, so what we're going to do is we're going to order nursing homes to take people who have tested positive for COVID-19. So we're going to bring people that we know are spreaders, and we're going to put them in an environment where they can expose themselves to people who are most likely to have really serious consequences. You know, in, in all the different actions with COVID that, that we talk about and all the different criticisms, whether it's, you know, President Trump gets the criticisms or governors of the state get the criticisms, I think when they write the history of this, the single most irresponsible thing is going to be, you know, what they did in New York with the nursing homes, which to me, absolutely unconscionable. The bottom line is we've got to figure out how to live with COVID. You want people to be smart, but to simply say, okay, let's clean Dane County out and let's take all the kids who have come from somewhere else, even though they live in Dane County now, let's send them back home. You you want to, th- what, what could people possibly be thinking? All right, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. Well, I'm glad we put this crisis behind us. Did you see what they're doing with Uncle Ben's rice? They've decided they're going to change the packaging because we don't want to offend anybody. And so starting next year, Uncle Ben's rice is now going to be called Ben's Original. As as if this is going to, I don't know, make, make everything okay. Or for people who were offended by the idea of Uncle Ben. Now we're going to call it Ben and everything's going to be okay. Here's the deal on Uncle Ben's converted rice, by the way. Uh, The brand started in 1937, and there was this Texas rice broker named Gordon Harwell who wanted to start a company to market a parboiled rice that he called Uncle Ben's Plantation Rice. Uncle Ben 
was actually a real person. It was a, a farmer, a black farmer in Houston who was called Uncle Ben, who was known for his high quality rice. So that that was it. There wasn't a a racist sort of component to it. It was, hey, we're naming it after this guy. During World War Two, they formed a, a partnership with Mars um, to sell Uncle Ben's converted rice. It was marketed with the image of a man in a bow tie who remained on the label until this week. That man was Frank Brown, a Chicago maitre d who, you know, was was posing as the brand's mascot. So that, that's been the background of this. There, there's not any sort of racist element attached to it. And a matter of fact, like I say, the name Uncle Ben comes from somebody who was, there really was an, an Uncle Ben. There really was a black farmer named Uncle Ben, and it was named after him as, as a tribute because he was known for his high-quality rice. Well, okay, it's now 2020, and people are, are finding are taking offense at things right and left. So Uncle Ben's converted rice, they decide, okay, we're going to change this name. This goes along with we, we can't have Eskimo pies anymore, and we can't have Aunt Jemima anymore, all, all that stuff. We're going to decide this is all racist and offensive to people. And and that's all well and good. But I guess my question was, if if Uncle Ben's converted rice has this offensive connotation and you can't get away from the uh, again the the person who you know played the, the brand's mascot if it's forever linked to the the smiling black man in the bow tie how, how can you keep the name ben i mean how can you call it ben's original i mean isn't that just a, a reference to like uncle ben's does that solve the problem now again in my mind i don't think there's a problem here I don't think Uncle Ben's converted rice was inherently racist. I don't think it was intended to be racist. And yes, it used that imagery. But, you know, really, if you understand the history, you understand that there's not a racist element to it. But to the extent that you've got to change something, as long as you're keeping the name Ben, doesn't seem to me that you have made a change. Will the political correct police come after that? We will see. Okay, coming up in the next hour, two different topics. I have links to both on my Twitter page. Um, it's Je- at Jeff Wagner 620. One is a story about our listening area in the New York Times today, and the other, Rolling Stone. They've updated their 500 best albums of all time. We're going to talk music in the 2.30 hour. You can get a link to both of those Jeff at Jeff Wagner 620 on Twitter. Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Hey, Melissa, before you go, have you, you, I was listening to a report about the uh, the quarterback who ended up with the uh, the punctured lung. Isn't that quite a story? Well, it is. Have you, have you ever had like a collapsed lung or a punctured lung or anything like I that? I haven't, but I have had a uh, piece of my um, rib out of place before, and okay. I had to go to the chiropractor for it. Boy, that was really painful. I, I just, I, I can always, I'm a freshman in college. And I, I'm walking it freshman year, first semester, and I'm, I'm, I remember vividly, I'm walking to like an 8 o'clock class, and all of a sudden, I get this stabbing pain in the left side of my chest, mm-hmm. and my left arm goes numb. You know what I mean? And, I, and on, so I, I sat through class like an idiot, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm having a heart attack yeah. because I, I'm having trouble breathing, and it's this pain and stuff. So I went to college in a, in a small town, and so I, I go to the hospital, and the hospital... It actually it used doctors from the area. So I come in, and there's a nurse, and I, I said, 
I'm afraid I'm having a heart attack. I mean, I, I've got this sharp pain in my Very chest painful. and the, the things there and, and all. And, and she's like, oh, no, you're too young to have a heart attack. Don't worry. Don't worry. And then I hear her on the phone saying, we got to get a doctor here. This kid might be having a heart attack. <laughs> no. And as it turned out, it was it was a collapsed lung. And oh the, what they explained gosh. to me is your, your lungs are like a – and at the time I was – I'm still tall, but I was tall and thin, or thinner than I am now. And what they say is every once in a while, especially in tall, thin young men, if you ever get like a like an unexplained little chest pain, what it is is the the is like a balloon, and these these little pains, there's like like air bubbles will form in your lung, mm-hmm. and every once in a while they'll, they'll pop, and that's what causes the pain. But every once in a while, particularly with younger thin men, if it gets big enough, it it'll pop the lung. And that's oh. what happened to me. Just this, oh my gosh. and it was really, really that's scary, freaky. Oh, oh yeah. So then they diagnose it. Then, then the weird thing. Now, of course, this is a long time ago. Now I think what they do is they, they do, they do this like little surgery to, to immediately knit it back up again. Okay, that's not what they do back then. What they do is they say, okay, well, you know, that's why God gave you two lungs. Here's what <laughs> happens. It, it's oh, like man. It, it will knit over mm-hmm. and it will heal. So they send me home. And I'm like, what? You're sending me home? They said, Well, yeah, that's that's what we're going to do. And what happens is it'll it'll just kind of like heal over, and it'll just automatically inflate. And I said, Well, okay. Well, what what happens? What if, do I do if, in the meantime? What, well, what, like, what, what happens if if the other one goes? And mm-hmm. I said, Well, then your your history. <laughs> I'm like, What? No, so I just I said, What? Well, I'm glad so, nothing happened. That's well, no, scary. So they, they send me home, and this is like a Wednesday, and then I'm I'm literally I'm just like, like laying in bed. I'm afraid yeah. to move. And then it was the weirdest thing because it was like a Saturday night all of a sudden it it knits over and then you can just feel it It, you because you like look down at your left side and it's it's not when you're breathing half of your body's going in and the other's not and then it was like a saturday night and all of a sudden it did it it healed over and the thing inflates automatically Mm. but it was like here just going home that'll be okay (laughs) have you have you noticed anything since then yeah no i mean it was just a freak it was just a freak sort of thing and like i say now i think they do like they do this this microsurgery and stuff and they go in and they just you know patch it up right away they sent me home and i, I just i'm like <laughs> no. I, it's like oh. it's like three or four days no i'm not going anywhere i'm just laying right here and not You're moving to yeah. to do that so so i was just relating now in this case they, they punctured oh, the man. guy's lung with a needle apparently but it it can happen it yeah. is a scary freaky experience so all right that's my medical story there you know sometime i'll tell you about my burst appendix that was another treat okay there is a story <laughs> melissa's laughing mike i love medical stories i don't know if you know that about me i any if you have any sort of weird medical story i i love hearing about that stuff because it's it's just so fascinating to me i am in a trial i'm in the u.s attorney's office i am in a trial i get death threats during the week of the trial so like the US Marshal Service is kind of you know they're 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 it's it's not full blown stuff but mm-hmm. there's you know they're working with the local police and there's surveillance and stuff. Okay, I'm in a trial. I've had death threats. Um I I noticed that I am getting sick and and I just I don't feel good. But you know it's weird because it's more than just like a flu. I don't exactly know how to describe it, but sometimes, you know, it's just it's sort of it, wash over. Well, you? it's just it, it, it's kind of like the flu, but it, it's not. And I have this like pain on my left side and stuff. So it's I'm in the middle of the trial and I'm I'm at home. I lived I was living in Glendale at the time. It's before we bought our house. And I, I just it's about 11 o'clock at night. And I, I said to Sue, I said, you, you, I, there's something really wrong here. And take me in. So we, we went into, at the time, it was St. Michael's emergency room. And they, they look at me and they say, 
oh, um, your your appendix has either burst or it's on the verge of bursting, and you know we we got to get in there That's and take scary, it out right away. You don't catch that right away. You can get I think sepsis. Oh, oh yeah. From it well, so I mean, infection? so it's like okay, this is like eleven or twelve o'clock at night, and I was on the operating table at six o'clock the next morning, but all of a sudden, and, and then. You know, my wife, she's like calling my parents and she's like calling work saying, and it's in the middle of trial. And of course, you know, the, the word didn't get out necessarily. There was an appendix. All the people at work knew is that everybody knew there were death threats and stuff. And now Jeff's in the hospital oh, and no. stuff. And No, but it was a, um, it was not a burst appendix, but it was a ruptured appendix. Ruptured so appendix, that it got infected. So I was in there for oh, a week and gosh. it was just miserable. But, but it came at the same time. Everybody's freaking out because there were these death threats and stuff. And now nah, it was just my appendix took that decided to take a dump at just absolutely yeah. the wrong time. Wow. Okay, Anything so, else, Jeff? No, You'd like to get off your chest? <laughs> that's my, <laughs> appendix, that's my appendix and my, my collapsed lung story. That's pretty much it. You <laughs> well, know? thanks for sharing. There you go. And well, you said you like medical <laughs> I do, stories. I do. All right. Um, here, here is the deal. Let's go where angels fear to tread quickly. Story in the New York Times today. American suburbs are tilting for Biden, but not Milwaukee's. And it's all about Waukesha, Washington, and Ozaki County. The The premise is that Wisconsin may be decided by people who vote in Ozaki, Washington, and Wauwatosa, and Waukesha counties. The the you know, the wow counties. The story points out that um, actually in 2016, President Trump got about 20,000 fewer votes than Mitt Romney got when he ran in 2012. And the premise of the story is, well, okay, that was because some college-educated Republicans had kind of soured on on Donald Trump and decided not to vote. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know if it's going to be enough to make a difference, but my best guess is that President Trump will do better in the WOW counties in 2020 than he did in 2016. I, I, I believe that more people will vote for him in Waukesha, Washington, and Ozaki County, then voted for him in 2016. I will explain why and ask you, what do you, am I right? You know, is Trump going to do better in our suburbs now than he did four years ago? 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, New York Times is a big piece today about how it is entirely, in the opinion of the author, it is entirely possible that the Milwaukee suburbs, meaning Washington, Ozaki, and Waukesha County, may determine who wins Wisconsin in the presidential election and... Therefore, if it's a close race, that that might be the determinant as to who the next president of the United States is. President Trump underperformed Mitt Romney in 2016 versus 2012 by about 20,000 votes. I think Trump will do better. I think he will get more votes in the count in the surrounding counties than he did in 2016. Now I have a text here, Jeff. I live in the city of Waukesha. There are four to five times more Biden signs in the yards this year than there were Clinton signs in 2016. Doesn't put a vote in the ballot box, but it's overly noticeable. Now again, let me let me be real clear what I'm saying here. First of all, as as I have been saying since I started on this program, 
Um, if you want to try to find an indicator of, of voting, yard signs are the least. Yard signs are like number 100 on the top 100 list of, of what's going to drive voters. I mean, yard signs are a way of, of somebody expressing their passion for a candidate. But as far as is yard signs being a predictor of who's going to win, it, it just trust me, it doesn't work out that way. But to the, the point of the texter, I, I'm I'm not saying that there might not be more people in those counties than vote for Biden than voted for Clinton. I'm just saying I think I think Trump is going to do better as far as numbers. It is entirely possible that Biden might well, you know, exceed the number of votes that Hillary Clinton got. I mean, if if you want to look at why Scott Walker isn't governor, I mean, let, let's just be honest here. You know, Scott Walker somewhat underperformed in those counties. But what happened is you had this massive turnout in Dane County of people who hadn't voted in 2014, who I, I think wanted to, quote unquote, send a message. They were upset with President Trump. They couldn't vote against President Trump in 2018, and they ended up voting against Scott Walker. And it was that massive turn. Now, that could very well happen. You could have all sorts of people in these collar counties that come out from out of the woodwork, you know, and, and vote against President Trump. By voting for President Biden, that may well very be true. Might well be true, but at the same time, I do think he's probably going to do better. I think than than he did in 2016 because I think that there's more people who are starting to rally around him. I think you see the Republican voters that are starting to come home. Now it might be that he's turned off independents or people who sat out. So there might be more people that come out and vote for Biden than voted for Clinton. That is entirely possible. But I think Trump is going. To to do better as well. 855-616-1620. Jeff, Trump supporters are afraid to put yard signs out, and the silent majority is staying silent until Election Day. I do think that there is an element of, of that. I think particularly Republican-leaning voters and Trump supporters are reluctant to say stuff because the, the mainstream media is so anti-Trump that people are just like, look, I, I don't want to get into the arguments. I, I don't want to voice this. Now, whether that's enough to make up for the folks that are, are vocally, you know, anti, anti-Trump and, you know, embrace like a lot of the negative coverage that's been going on for four years, that's a different story. Jeff, the majority of people who live in the suburbs will vote for the candidate's personality over policy. That's why I don't think Trump will do better in 2016 and may lose Wisconsin. Hmm. I, I think he may well lose Wisconsin. I, I don't know. At some point in time, I'll, because it's what I do, I'll end up making a prediction one way or the other. And I will acknowledge that I didn't see him winning Wisconsin in 2016. So you can take any prediction I make with a grain of salt. But I think that's, you know, that's, in, that's possible that, you know, personality does play into effect over policy. But I, I don't know that people have a different perspective on the president's personality now than they did in 2016. Um, let's see. Jeff, if you want to see signs, you know, go up north. That's all Trump signs up north. A number of people have been telling me that. Jeff, I'm in New Berlin. I'm only seeing Trump signs. I moved from West Dallas where I saw more 
Biden signs. Jeff, I'm that college-educated person in Washington County that voted libertarian last time. I don't love Trump, but I'm more likely to vote for him than Biden, though I'm still undecided. The more Biden speaks, the less likely I feel to vote for him. Jeff, I agree. I live in Waukesha County. I did not vote for Trump in 2016 because I thought he was a Democrat running as a Republican. Now that I've seen his administration's policies, he will get my vote this time around. Obviously, the law and order aspect only helps. You know, that's that is the wild card that's out there. This election would have been completely different if it were not for COVID. I mean, COVID has changed everything. I think all of us would concede that. I mean, it's it's had a dramatic effect on the economy. It's had a dramatic effect on um, our our psyches. It's had a dramatic effect on the health of a number of people. I mean, COVID has been the driving thing. And as we've talked about a couple times, in all honesty, I'm not sure what the president could have done. And I understand people are upset with his lack of empathy and things like that. I'm not sure as a practical matter what the president could have done six months ago that doesn't get us into the same position where we're at now. People are saying, well, he should have taken it more seriously earlier on. Oh, okay, that, that that's fair. I, I, but you know, does, does that change anything? Would that have, have changed the outcome of this? I mean, you, you look at other countries in Europe, for example, who, who were more aggressive perhaps than we were, and they're all experiencing these surges as well. But, but COVID unquestionably has changed, I mean, the, the, the course of, of the election. And I, I don't know if there's enough time for that all to change back. I think if it weren't for COVID, I think Donald Trump would have, I don't want to say coasted to re-election, but I think he would have been re-elected. I think it's a much more open question. If you believe the polls, he has no chance of winning. And I understand some people don't. But I mean, I think COVID has been the defining thing of this particular presidential campaign. One thing that, that might change it back a little is if we continue to see more outbreaks of, of violence, if that law and order message, if people become convinced that, all right, from a perspective of, of law and order and keeping you know control of things, to the extent you believe stuff is out of control, President Trump might be better at that than Joe Biden. I mean, that could potentially be a game changer. I, I don't know about that, but I, I do stand by my prediction that I think President Trump will do better than he did in 2016. Again, that doesn't mean that, you know, at the end of the day, by do better, I mean get more votes than he got in 2016. I don't think you're going to see that performance gap. There might be more votes on the other side because people are so incredibly passionate. Um, time, you know, time will tell. Jeff, I travel between Germantown and Bailey's Harbor every week. Way more Trump signs. Um, you know, again, eh, yard signs, bad indicator. Jeff, we live in Waukesha County, and my entire family were hashtag never Trump conservatives in 2016. Now, of the eight adults, I'm the only one not definitely voting for Trump in 2020. The left's behavior has pushed us all to support Trump more so than we have ever had. Huh. So, I mean, I think there is kind of an attitude like that that's out there. Jeff, I think Trump will do well. But if the 7 million who stayed home in 2016 vote Democratic, the Trump era will be over. That's what we will see. And that's what elections are for. And love to have the opportunity to discuss it with you. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.